That was beautiful. Ensemble, that was wonderful, beautiful. Thank you, choir, for blessing us tonight with the music. What a joy it's been to be here each night. And uh, thank you for being faithful to the meetings. I know many of you have been here every single service. Others of you have been here every service you could be. And I appreciate that so very much. And thank the Lord for what God's doing here in this place. I um, uh, was thinking tonight as uh, the announcements were made about Vacation Bible School and, and the teen activities and things of that nature. Well, I hope as a church you'll continue to pray and support these young people. Uh, our nation is working hard to get the minds of our youth. And uh, we as a church have to counter that with truth. It was Lenin who said way back in Russian days, he said, give me a child for four years and you will never uproot the seeds that I have planted. Just think about that for a moment. Now that can work negatively, but it can work positively as well. And the seeds that you plant next week in Vacation Bible School in the minds and hearts of these boys and girls the devil will have a hard time uprooting those things because God promises his word will not return void. And so encourage the teenagers to get involved and uh, the young people to come next week and support that in your prayers and whatever efforts you can make uh, to, to make that a success. When we work with young people, we have the privilege of writing the history of the future. And we look out in the future and we think, boy, it doesn't look too good. But we can change that by what we do in the hearts and lives of young people because they are the future. And uh, so uh, thank you for bringing them to the services this week and letting them enjoy the preaching. And um, I, I appreciate uh, William, his desire to hear good preaching tonight. <laughs> I, I tell folks, you know, they, sometimes they'll say uh, things like that and I'll, I'll think, yeah, you know, Everybody gets tired of steak every single day. you got to have macaroni and cheese once in a while. And so I'm glad to be some macaroni and cheese this week uh, to kind of alter your diet just a little bit uh, with something different. But uh, thank you for letting me come. It's been an absolute joy. Take your Bible tonight. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. What an amazing chapter this is. What an amazing account in the scripture that God has preserved for us. I don't think it will be unfamiliar to many of us, but it's a great encouragement in the days in which we live to read this account and realize that the God of yesterday is still our God today. Daniel chapter 3, uh, let's read a little bit, starting in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set, up in the, set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. 
And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoso falleth not down, worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. It's easy to praise the Lord when things are going well. We mentioned the other night that our sole purpose in life is to bring glory to God. It's easy to do that when you're in good health. It's easy to do that when you have some money in your bank account. It's easy to do that when your relationships are in good shape. It's easy to praise the Lord for his goodness in our life. But when the trials come, when the difficulties come, when the hardships come in our life, then is the real test, is it not? Oftentimes in those moments we find it difficult to praise the Lord. And yet God designs and desires that even the difficulties in our life would be used as an opportunity for us to praise him. Now, the devil loves to intimidate. And we live in an age that can be quite intimidating to the Christian. We are seeing our nation becoming very quickly anti-Christian. 29% of Americans tonight claim to be atheists. Only 48% of Americans today claim any kind of a church. Now, 88% of Americans claim to be spiritual. But most people are not interested in religion. Most people are not interested in church. Most people aren't really interested in the Bible or truth or hearing about God. And as a result, our nation moves farther and farther away from what is right. And those who try to live according to God's word, those who try to live according to the truth of the Bible, find themselves in this intimidation that can come into our lives. Such is the case before us in this text. We find that the vast majority of people are in conformity to this wicked king Nebuchadnezzar, who has built this image and commanded people to bow down and worship it. And now the test comes to these three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Will they bow or will they stand? And God desires that when those moments come, that we take those opportunities when we could be intimidated to, to fear, we could be intimidated to back away or compromise. God designs them to bring him praise as well. So I want you to notice tonight, 
a series of steps that can and should lead to God being glorified even during a time when we are provoked as God's people. So notice, first of all, the provocation. If you decide that you're going to live for Jesus Christ, if you decide that you're going to take a stand for God and do what's right with your life, and you're going to live honestly before the word of God and before God, you're going to have some opposition. You're going to have some people that will try to provoke you in some way. You see, people are going to test us to see if we will demonstrate what we declare. We can say, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, and so on. And so we make a declaration, but the world is going to test us, Satan is going to tempt us to see whether we will demonstrate what we declare. And here we see a provoking of truth. Notice as we read on, look at verse number 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods? nor worship the golden image which I have set up. You notice there the word gods? It's a little g that starts that word. It's not speaking of the true God, the God of heaven, the singular God, but rather a small g God, and notice it's plural. The one thing the devil hates is that there's only one God. The devil hates the fact that God is the only true God. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 39, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath, and there is none else. Now that statement bothers Satan. It bothers the devil. Why? Because how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in that heart, I will ascend into the heavens, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. I will rise above the clouds. I will be like the most high. You see, Satan was jealous in his pride of the glory that was going to God in heaven. And Lucifer, as an angel, desired that worship for himself. He wanted to be God. And so he was cast out. And ever since that time, Satan has planned an attack upon the fact that God is the only true God. And the devil would love for you and I to believe that there are many gods. Because if there are many gods, then we can be our own God. We can serve self. We can serve uh, ourselves. But God does not share his glory with anybody else. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory do I not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. The devil wants you to believe in a multiplicity of gods. He's attacking here the truth. He's provoking of truth. But notice, secondly, because most of us tonight in this room have no question about the fact there's only one God. We believe there's one God. And, and so the devil fails there to provoke us concerning that truth but he will attempt to provoke our trust in that God. Notice verse 15. He says, now, if he be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, but psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, 
You should be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Okay, you believe there's only one God? All right. Well, what's going to happen when you're put to the test? What's going to happen when I bring the pressure on you? What's going to happen when you're provoked? Who is that God that's going to save you then? I mean, can you trust him? Is he reliable? Are you sure he's telling you the truth? Isn't that the ploy Satan used in the Garden of Eden? Hath God said? I mean, are, are you sure that's what he meant, Eve? Are you sure that that's reliable information? You see, you and I believe there's only one God, but the devil will tempt us. He'll provoke our trust in that God. Can we count on him? Will he be faithful? Will he come through for us? The devil begins to plant doubts in our mind that perhaps God is going to somehow let us down. He's going to fail us. He's, he's not going to come through for us. Well, I'm thankful for the promises of God's word. Even the promise in Isaiah 46 and verse 4, where he says, Even to your old age, I am he. And even to your whore hairs, your white hairs, I will carry you. I have made I will bear, I will carry, I will deliver you. In other words, through your whole life, God says, you can trust me. You can rely upon me. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what? He shall direct thy paths. Here was the provocation. But notice the proclamation. There was no hesitation here on the part of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about how they were going to answer this provocation. They didn't say, um, tell you what, uh, King, um, we really need to call our pastor. <laughs> we, we need to get some counsel. Uh, we, we need to pray about this. Uh, we, we need to give it a little more thought. No, there was no hesitation here. You see, the devil, when he provokes us, doesn't give us time before we are to respond. We better decide right now how we're going to decide to the how we're going to how we're going to respond to the provocation the devil brings our way. Uh, look at this proclamation of refusal. Look at verse sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter." In other words, we don't, we don't need time to think about this. We don't have to pray about this. We don't have to get counsel about this. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Here was a proclamation of refusal. Your intimidation is not going to work. We're not going to succumb to the peer pressure. We're not going to give in to convenience. We're not going to give in to comfort. We have already made up our mind. We need to decide, just as Solomon told his son, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. When Moses was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife to commit a sexual sin, he said, how shall I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, we got to make up our minds now. 
we got to make up ourselves, our, our minds before the temptation comes, before the provocation comes, how we're going to answer. This was a proclamation of refusal, but notice it was also a proclamation of reliance. In verse 17, let's read it again. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, if he doesn't deliver us out of the furnace, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. They refuse this temptation, and their reliance is completely upon God. They said, we're trusting God in life or in death. We're confident that if God chooses, he can deliver us out of the fire furnace. If he doesn't, that's okay too. You see, the choice is ours. But when you trust in God, you leave the consequences of that choice to him. You get to make the choice. But a true trust is when you say, Lord, I'm okay with the consequences. That's what these men are saying. They're saying, we're trusting God. We're not bound down. We're, we're not going to give in. We're trusting the Lord. We know that he can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're still trusting him. We're relying on him. We're relying on his will in our life. I wonder, are we at that level of trust? By the way, whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live, whether we die, we're the Lord's. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. To die, oh, that, that's a promotion. <laughs> to die is gain. You see, to the child of God, our life never ends. It may, it may be terminated here on this earth, but it's not over. We're going to live with him forever. So our trust has to be at the level where we say, whether by life or by death, I'm going to glorify God in my body. Here was a provocation, but then a proclamation of refusal, a proclamation of reliance. But notice, thirdly, the pressure. The devil doesn't stop intimidating just because you say no. Someone has said, opportunity knocks but once. I find that to be sometimes true. I've added something to that quote. Opportunity knocks but once. Temptation leans on the doorbell all day. You ever notice that? Sometimes opportunities do what, what are right. They come kind of randomly here and there. But boy, when you talk about temptation, it's always at your door. There's always something tempting you. There's always something trying to intimidate. There's always something trying to pull you off track. And here's an intimidating fear. Look at verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Here came the pressure. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a bluff. And we in our American churches better wake up to the fact that what we're experiencing in 2022 is not a bluff. The enemy hates us. 
And there are a lot of people on the enemy's side. And they're not bluffing. Satan's not a nice guy who backs down when he meets nice people. Satan doesn't look at Christians and say, oh, you know, they're, they're really nice. I'll just leave them alone. No, he steps up the pressure. Why? Because Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan is not a bother. He's a beast. He wants to devour us. And just because we nicely say, no, I'm going to live for God. No, I'm not going to be pressured. No, I'm going to bring glory to God in this trial. The devil's not going to back away. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's why Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Here's an intimidating fear and notice an intensifying fire. Verse 21, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This, this furnace was heated up so hot that those who threw these men into the furnace were burned to their deaths. I don't like to say this, but things are going to get worse. I, I, I've lived my whole life praying and working for a great revival, a great spiritual awakening in this country. And I believe with every fiber of my being that it can take place. I'm never going to give up in that hope. But my Bible also tells me evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The world, this world as we know it, is never going to become a, a utopia for Christianity. It's never going to be a place with peace and safety. Tribulation comes. Satan is very aware that he's operating on a very short time schedule. Thus, we must be diligent. We must be vigilant. We must redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. So we see a provocation. We see a proclamation. We see a pressure. But here's the best part. There's a protection. A protection. And this is the part the devil hates. Notice the surprised king in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. I mean, he's expecting to look in this fire and see three dead men. After all, the guys who threw him in there are dead. He's looking in this fire and he's saying, Didn't we, didn't, didn't we throw three in there? I see four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. He's astonished. He's surprised. God is always one step ahead of our enemy. Don't ever play chess with God. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a chess player, but if you ever played chess with somebody like seven moves ahead of you, 
There's no way to win. They're outthinking you. You can't outmaneuver God. God's way ahead of you. God's way ahead of our enemy. I know sometimes we say this. I, I never saw this before in the Bible. We probably saw it. We just didn't, we just didn't think about it. Now, I was reading through the book of Ecclesiastes recently, and I came to chapter 5. And I got to read you verse 9 because it just it, it stunned me. It says in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 9, if thou seest the oppression of the poor. Well, I'm seeing that every day. The oppression of the poor. That's happening on every street in America. People are being shot to death. People are being beat up unprovoked. I mean, the news is filled with the oppression of the oppression of the poor. And we're getting poorer every day. He says, if thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province. Well, I'm seeing that too. The violent perverting of judgment and justice. The criminals are going free. We don't put anybody in, 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 in jail in California anymore. Nobody. Our DA in L.A. lets everybody out. We don't, we don't incarcerate anybody. No one. The perverting of judgment and justice? Yeah, I'm seeing it, Lord. He says, if thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there is he that is higher than they. Wow. God's aware. God knows what's going on. And he's higher than the highest. Someone may be a DA, may work for the DOJ, may be the president of the country. But God's higher than that. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are the called according to his purpose. Here's a surprise king. Why? Because of a sovereign keeper. Look at verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. Oh, he's got a capital G now. Come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was any hair of their heads singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. There's still dead men laying in front of the furnace who threw them in there, and they bring these guys out, and they don't even smell like smoke. A sovereign keeper. You see, when God makes a promise back in Isaiah 43, when thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the fire kindle upon thee. You see, we have a sovereign keeper. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. 
But thou art with me. A sovereign keeper. One of our graduates is a missionary in China. and It's been my privilege to preach for him over there in the underground churches that he started. I was there visiting, preaching one time and he told me a story that had happened a few months previous. His wife's father had become ill here in the States and was not doing well at all and they decided that it would be wise for her to return for a short time and help care for him. And so the missionary and his wife decided that she and the four children would come back to America for a month or so and see if they could be of some help and get her father through this time of some surgeries and different things. The missionary, however, felt that it was not a good time for him to leave. Uh, there were just some things going on with the church that he had established there. This was the third church that he had started, and he kind of had it at a place where it was getting close to being turned over to nationals, and he could move on, and he just felt like it was just not the right timing for him to leave. And so he was going to stay. His wife and children would go to America for a few weeks. When they left, he decided this would be a good time to take a little extra of his time that he didn't have for his family to mentor some of the men in the church. He was working with several of them on their preaching and teaching and others in music and things like that and preparing them to be able to take the church. There was one younger man who he had been working with in leading the music, leading the singing and so on, and the choirs. And, and um, so he met with him several times that week and uh, they went over some things they've been working on. And he said, listen, I think this Wednesday night, I think I'll have you lead the singing. He'd never led congregational singing before publicly, and yet he had, he had been learning, doing well. And the missionary said, I, I, I want you to, to plan to lead the singing this Wednesday night. He said, you come early and I'll have some songs picked out. I'll have some basic beats that will not be too complicated, songs that you're familiar with. And, and uh, we'll practice a little bit. And so they met at the church and they got squared away and service began. The underground churches are amazing over there. They don't sing quietly. They sing loud. I mean, they know that uh, they can be seen. They, they walk past cameras and so on as they enter the churches. And they, they understand that they're under surveillance and, and they're being watched. And, and yet it doesn't hinder their faith. But they do meet in undisclosed locations and private places and so on. We uh, the days I was there, we'd jump on our bicycles about 6 o'clock in the morning. We'd ride across that city. It's 3 million people in that particular city. And we would stop at different cafes, open, a, open an iPad, and do discipleship there in these cafes one-on-one. And that's how, you, that's how you teach people over there in the underground church. And so the crowd began to come in, and the, the missionary got up, and he told the folks, now so-and-so is going to lead the singing tonight. And, he had told the man, when you get up to lead, I'm going to go stand on the side so that I can watch you to see how you're doing. But I also want to watch the congregation to see how they're responding to you. And so the missionary introduced him. He started leading the first song. The missionary stood along the side wall. He said, Billy Gatch, as we were singing the first verse, 10 armed policemen walked in the back door. Guns drawn, stood across the back wall. Their captain led them in. And as they stood ready, 
he took out a little notepad, pencil, and he looked over our congregation and was writing. He said, I don't know if he knew any of our names or if he was writing descriptions of us. But he said, I stood there against that wall and he said, my first thought was, how am I going to let my family know? This is it. I'm going to be arrested. Some of my people will be arrested. Perhaps all of us. Um, they'll confiscate my phone. How am I going to get word to my wife and my children? So he said, I'm standing there thinking in my mind how I can get word to my family. He said the, the first congregational ended. We sang all four verses. It ended. And the song leader kind of looked at me. And I, I just kind of went like this, like go on to the next one. <laughs> sang a second one. Sang a third one. Sang a fourth one. At the end of the fourth one, he said, go back and sing the first one. They sang all through four again. This went on 30 minutes. The whole time, these policemen just stood with guns drawn and the, and the, and the captain taking notes, looking at every single person, looking at the missionary looking at the song leader, looking at everybody there, writing notes. He said after about 30 minutes, he put his notebook away, put his pocket, gave a signal to the men, they walked out. He said, but guess we, we never heard from them. Nothing ever happened. They left. I said, wow. He said, Brother Gatch, I don't think they saw me. I said, they saw you. I mean, the missionary is 6'4". He has blonde hair. Pale skin. He does not look Chinese. I said, they saw you. He said, Brother Gatch, I don't think they saw me. I thought about that. I don't think they saw him. God has blinded minds and eyes before. We have a sovereign keeper. What a joy it is to know tonight. That whatever the provocation, whatever the trial, whatever the difficulty that comes our way, we have a sovereign keeper. And that brings us to the final step, and that's praise. There's a provocation. There's a proclamation. There's pressure. There's a protection but it all leads to praise. Everything we encounter is for this one ultimate purpose, and that is to bring praise to God. And look at this respected position in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, earlier in the chapter he's saying, Bow down to my gods. Bow down to my molten image, or I'll kill you. Now... Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Well, you talk about a respected position. Now listen, not everybody's going to listen to our message. Not everybody's going to accept us as we try to tell them about Christ. But when you live for God and when you serve God the way we should, 
the world will have a respect for you. Some will never admit it. But when you stand for Christ, their attention is one of admiration and respect. I believe one of the reasons Saul of Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus was because he had watched a man named Stephen, full of faith, full of power, full of the Holy Ghost, full of good works, die. And when he died, his face shone like that of an angel. And Saul could never get that out of his mind. And when that bright light shined upon him on the road to Damascus, he said, Who art thou, Lord? He answered his own question. He knew. And it all leads to a rightful praise in verse 29. I love this. Therefore, I make a decree. Remember, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking now. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, language would speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses burnt uh, shall be made a dunghill because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. And ladies and gentlemen, in our day, that's what it's all funneling toward. Where one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's all coming to. It doesn't end when, when, when the provocation comes. It doesn't come when there's pressure. That, that's not the end of it. The end is when God is praised as a result of our stand for him. Satan's going to provoke you. Something's going to go wrong probably this week. Some trial, difficulty may come in your life. But determine before it happens what your response will be. That whatever it is, I'm going to give praise to God. About 16 months ago, I received a text one day. It was from one of our alumni, and she had graduated about 20 years ago. And I, I had kept up with her a little bit. I knew she'd gotten married. I knew she was in the ministry with her husband and had a couple of boys and but I hadn't seen her, hadn't talked to her on the phone live that I recalled. I maybe had run across her once or twice, but really didn't uh, keep up in close contact with her. But she texted me. And she said, uh, Brother Getch, my, my oldest son is going to be at summer camp this summer. And you're the speaker. And it'll be his first time at camp. He's never gone to camp. And I'm so excited he gets to go. And I'm so excited you're the speaker. And I have built you up. She said, I've told him all about my time at college and some of the sermons you preached and some of the times you counseled me. And she said, I, I've just built him up. And, and, and I, I told him he's going to love it. And, and she said, I just want you to be praying for him. And, and uh, I hope that uh, he's a little bit shy, but, but I hope that you can meet him. I know there'll be a lot of young people there. And, and you'll be busy, but if you, could, if you could make an attempt to try to meet him. Well, of course. And I responded back, so I'll look forward to it. I'll call him John. That wasn't his name. I'll say, I'll call him John for the sake of the story. And I said, I'll, I'll make sure I look him up. And I made a note. Well, soon that week at camp came, and I remembered it. And I thought, boy, I'm going to have to uh, go on a hunt for this kid. Teenagers don't normally just come up to you and introduce themselves. you got to kind of go out of your way to, to meet them and and uh, so 
uh, I thought I'm going to need to ask the director or this camp secretary what cabin he's in and kind of look for him at, at a meal time or something, you know. So the first night I, I uh, went down to the preaching place. It was kind of a long walk. There was a sidewalk and, and uh, kids were kind of milling about and, and uh, it wasn't quite time to go in yet. And there were about there were probably about five or six hundred teenagers there. And I had this, this boy, John, on my mind, 14-year-old kid. I thought, uh, boy, you know, it'd be good if I met him tonight. That way I could kind of give a report to his mom, you know, that I met him and, and uh, so on. And so I'm walking down the sidewalk toward the, toward the main chapel. And there was a kid sitting on a fence, kind of looking in my direction. And I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me. And I thought, you know, that might be him. And as I got a little bit closer, he jumped off that fence and he started running toward me. And, and when he got close, I said, you're John. He said, how would you know? I said, I know your mom. <laughs> he said, that explains a lot. Well, we walked into the chapel just kind of getting acquainted. And he was excited. He was thrilled to be at camp, you know, and he was excited about everything. And I was asking what team he was on, who his counselor was, and you know, the game that had been played that afternoon and, you know, just made some small talk with him. I watched where he went to sit. And I kept an eye on him during the service. Boy, he had his Bible open. He's just taking notes. He's just drinking it in. He's enjoying everything. And throughout that week, I saw him every day. He'd come up and we'd talk a little bit and ask him how things were going. And he had made some decisions already. And, and uh, he was having a great time. Wednesday. Got a text from his mom. She said, Brother Gadshai, haven't told anybody but my pastor. But my husband just passed away. She said, my pastor and I decided it would be best if we Tried to keep it as quiet as we can till after camp. John is having such a great time. And I don't want this to hurt him. He loved his dad. This is going to be very, very difficult. I just want him to get through this week. If you could just pray. As you preach, if you could just think about what you're saying that might help him. Oh boy, you talk about a burden being placed on you. I, I was burdened. Boy, that night there was that kid just drinking it all in and I'm thinking, oh son, you're about to get whacked by Satan. Friday, Thursday, I'm sorry, Thursday evening. I got another text and she said, I'm coming up tonight. Word is beginning to leak out and we're afraid that John might find out through the grapevine and I don't want that to happen. He needs to hear it from his mom. So I'm coming up tonight. I have a friend in town there where the camp is that I can stay with. Tomorrow morning, I'll come over to the camp and I'll take him home. We've got to make the funeral arrangements and he's got to be a part of it. 
She said, could you, could you meet with us and help me tell her? I didn't sleep much that night. I thought, Satan, you have an opportunity here to destroy a life. And I begged God that he wouldn't allow it. As I walked that young man into that office the next morning, he was surprised to see his mom again. As we told that young man, his first response was, there must be some mistake. His mother said, no, son, it's not a mistake. Your daddy's in heaven. His mom had her back to me on a couch. I was sitting kind of across from her, but she turned and her back was to me. And Jason, or, uh, John, he, he just kind of buried his head in his mom's shoulder. He began to weep. His eyes met mine. And through his tears, he said, Mr. Gatch, I love Jesus Christ. The devil's not going to get me. Wow. Praise. Now, I don't know what you or I may face in the way of provocation. But the devil's going to provoke you. And we got to decide now our response. There won't be time then to think about it, to pray about it, to get help. We've got to be ready to respond as these men were. What an amazing story. And what an amazing story can come from your life and mine through difficulty, through trial, because it's all designed to the praise of his glory. Let's bow for a moment.